So, uh, thank you very much for inviting me here, for Nazi's family for setting this nice stage. Warm uh, thankfulness, especially to Polis for me, that makes the welcome to the island uh, very special every time you're here. And uh, we, we have touched on a subject uh, related to the core of, uh, of our business, that it's um, uh, shipbuilding. And uh, we are, uh, as Castec Nava, we are focused, uh, we are focusing our shiprocking activity mainly on uh, new building. We, we have been uh, conducting the last six, seven years about one out of six, one out of five, one out of six of all Greek new buildings. And I'm not saying it only to self-promote, but uh, also to add some validity uh, in uh, certain points that uh, will be raised through this discussion. So, uh, so we have, uh, we, Basically, the, the core of this discussion will be how the CPS reality can reflect our industry's effort to uh, reduce its carbon footprint and uh, how pragmatic and difficult in today's re reality this uh, looks. And uh, I've chosen the route of uh, very quickly going through the alternative fuels uh, mapping, uh, which has been so properly and uh, much more extensively analyzed by people before me, but I thought it, since we are in the end, it might be nice to have a quick summary. Uh, as we materially know, there are uh, basically four uh, dominating trends on the alternative fuels today. It's LNG, methanol, ammonia, and uh, CO2 capture. Hydrogen is uh, far behind, and offsetting is a bit of a different sport. Each one of them has its pros and cons, and, um, and uh, it is interesting that exactly because each one of them has so material pros and cons, it is, uh, there is not a clear winner. And uh, very quickly, LNG, who, who gained in pace in comparison to everyone else, uh, has a very strong uh, difficulty with regard to its pricing. Uh, not only the pricing of the commodity, but uh, very much the pricing of uh, the whole banking system and the installation on board. So, indicatively, uh, to install in a cape size uh, an LNG fueling system, you probably need uh, 17, 18 million today, about uh, 25, 30% of the ship's price, it is material. And, uh, and the banking barge today is 60 million dollars when an oil barge is 10, so the pricing elements are challenging. And not only that, it's not a totally satisfying solution since it enhances the footprint but not uh, fully satisfies it due to methane smith. Uh, so the industry has found a more uh, uh, easy to accommodate economically solution, which is uh, methanol. Uh, methanol is much cheaper to install, has less, far less cryogenic requirements than the LNG banking system, and in this regard, it is uh, more economically viable to apply. Yet, uh, the, the methanol as a, as a solution is much more difficult to be produced in its green form. And unless you speak about green methanol, you are not uh, navigating to the solution. It needs 
a very, very, very serious amount of energy to produce it, and this makes it again uh, expensive. Uh, I think that the, the, the trending price today of methanol for 2026-27 is about $800 per ton, which is equivalent to $1,500 per fuel. So we are talking about a nearly three-fold higher cost in the banking system. So this is challenging as well. Uh, it is less toxic than the others, but it has uh, this element. In a cancer max, a methanol system probably is worth, is costing between six, seven, eight million, depending if you ask the owner or the seeker. And um, uh, it, is, uh, it is something definitely being evaluated. Uh, now, ammonia is, uh, has a lot of plus, uh, it is uh, cheaper to produce, yet it is, uh, it is uh, an extremely toxic, toxic um, uh, substance that uh, basically with few PPNs in the air can be fatal. We have watched some uh, operations with uh, ammonia and it's like Kubrick's uh, uh, Space Odyssey. It's very, very intensive in all sorts of protection needed in order not to have any, any incident. And then carbon capture is very promising, very, uh, you know, it's something that seems that could work, yet we are far behind. I mean, it's premature uh, whether it can be a solution for us or not. Now, before I leave the alternative fuel section, I want just to touch the well-to-weight concept, which uh, uh, I like a lot because it's something not clear to everyone, even, or at least what's not so lucid to me, but it's, it's very important in order to understand each solution. Basically, well-to-weight concept says that we need to monitor the carbon footprint from production to consumption and not just tank to wake, which is how, how it burns on the ship. I like very much this graph, the one on the red, where it basically uh, identifies the, the various solutions in correlation to how, how it impacts on a well-to-wake basis and what percentage of it ba each banker is tank to wake. And I like it because uh, it is also evident that LNG, which uh, was uh, gaining pace a lot, has a weak element on weight weight because it loses methane slip from production until you consume it. And uh, this way, it, uh, it, it, its end result is more questionable. Uh, there is one point also which is interesting, uh, opening a bracket. VLSFO on a weight weight has, it's not in this graph, but I think it's nice to mention to the crowd, has marginally less, worse uh, impact than a HFO plus scrubber on well to wake. And the reason is that it's a more refined and processed project, uh, product. Uh, so if we had HFO scrubber, would be uh, a bit less. So uh, I apologize for this very elementary summary on alternative fuels, which is not my field of expertise. But before we discuss about shipyards and how how shipyards today can implement uh, this uh, transition that we are seeking, I thought it uh, might be a good uh, summary in order to start the the, the core the core discussion. Uh, so very quickly, I would like to, to give you a few elements on what is the reality of the civilian world today. 
this is roughly the order book. What is interesting is that we have 35% of, of, of containers on order, and this massive uh, container stream has been so, so intense and so uh, it's continuing even today that uh, has, caused, uh, has caused the scarcity of, of remaining beds and has uh, uh, materially affected the supply demand uh, elements of, uh, of, of the shipyards. Uh, this, uh, uh, this, this reality, the price reality is reflected also in these graphs that uh, very vividly show that we, since 2021, we are seeing again the, the jump of, uh, of prices, and this is across the board. It's in every ship type, regardless of how well the market is going, because basically it plays with uh, the shipyard chooses what to be. So even if one market is uh, doing dramatically, the shipyard doesn't care, they just build the other ship type. And that's why this is, this is quite a generic, uh, a generic uh, uh, form. Uh, then a bit of history, we had uh, many years of, uh, of very low prices. If we made the 2010 to 2020 uh, new building price, prices inflation adjusted, it would uh, very much challenge the, the lowest of, of, uh, of new building history. And uh, of course, uh, we were in an extremely low inflationary environment uh, with, uh, with very low, with much low cost on many fronts. And uh, we had also challenging shipping markets uh, for the owners as well, and this combination led to nearly a decade of, of low prices uh, in, on the new building front. Now, uh, one question that is very much in, in our mind as, as industry people, uh, from, from whatever hat everyone is wearing, is whether this price jump is cost-driven uh, meaning a result of an increase of the elements of cost of the ship, which means that it's more sticky and more related to the global uh, patterns, or more market-driven, which means that it's more related within our shipping family, meaning that uh, it could be something that uh, might be reversed as long as the markets uh, go down. Uh, it's, it's, there is no clear answer, and clearly, a shipyard and a buyer will have a different view on it. Uh, now, when we say market-driven forces, uh, it, it lands to the simple five words, words, uh, quotes. Too, too much demand, few bears. And the question is, how did we end up with few bears? The answer is, as we said, a, a booming on uh, containers, uh, followed by a, a very unprecedented series of orders on the LNG front. There are 300 LNGs on, uh, on order. Uh, and, uh, and the number is, is, is very, is, is quite shocking if, if, if someone puts it into context because every LNG needs nearly twice the time and the effort and the capacity and the elements than a conventional ship. So 300 LNGs is equivalent to 600 of tankers or barkers, it's big. PCTCs came in the picture, took a lot of deaths, and uh, followed by some market spikes, there spikes here and there, there are few beds uh, available to match the demand. And this, as we know well in our shipping world, in, in the spot uh, freight reality, 
causes spikes. And uh, I think that uh, uh, that this this is quite uh, quite significant. Now, this is this is paired with a period of time that we have a, a serious reduction of the shipbuilding capacity. Uh, these are the, in 2010 there were 380 shipyards, and uh, we were starting as brokers, and so we were trying to go to the most remote places in the world. Uh, 300. Now it is uh, it is uh, about about a third, and uh, with uh, with also reduced capacities. It is interesting to see at the very very end of the graph there is a small increase because the last couple of months we had the few newcomers coming in, and uh, of course this is not uh, music to ship owners ears, but. Uh, there are shipyards like Rongsheng and Hengli that uh, are now back, back in the picture. And this is the, the, this small increase in the end. So, uh, uh, the, the arguments around cost-driven increase of prices in the new building world uh, are uh, well known to all of us. Uh, I will not spend too much of your time. Inflation is a core global thing. Why not be reflected in ships? Um, equipment and makers and uh, all sort of uh, contributors to the production of sheep find their costs going up and an opportunity to make money and increase their prices, labor costs, steel prices and of course interest costs. Um, steel prices uh, at its peak uh, were reached uh, $6,000 per RMB in China now it's 4,800, and in its lows it was around 3,200. And uh, it shows that there, there has been some moderation in the last couple of months. The labor cost issue is very big for shipyards. The average worker of, uh, in a Japanese shipyard is 57 years old. A welder, uh, the average, the average worker is 57 years old. So there is a uh, Korean, I think, 53. There is a real issue with labor in, uh, in, in this industry, and uh, this is a sticky cost element. On the other hand, I was speaking with a big, uh, with the president of a yard and asking what percentage of your cost is labor. It is, he answered 23%, which is interesting because even if he has 20% increase of labor, it lands to 4 5% on the internal price, and now we are experiencing 25 or 30 on the, on the actual uh, new building uh, price. And of course, uh, the, the one thing that it's not widely discussed is that we have a materially strong dollar, so the dollar, one to dollar today I think is 1,300, and the yen to dollar, I don't know, is 137, 140, 138. So putting it into context, it, it should be an element that should offer some relief to shipyards in order to be more uh, accommodating on, on prices. So these are the arguments on the cost-driven uh, forces. Um, now, uh, the question is how easy it is to manage the energy transition in a high-cost environment? It is not easy. And uh, it is interesting and encouraging that even in this difficult environment, it is happening. The majority of new building projects seek readiness for fuel transition. 
And I think readiness is the one of the possibly winning patterns this day because owners should seek for fuel optionality in their new buildings. It is uncertain what will be the prevailing system and it's, it's uh, worthwhile to have uh, your pallet open so ships are uh, trying to have the space and the basic accommodation for, for this sort of um, uh, readiness. And of course we have a growing number of projects with charterers and uh, owners that are, you know, projects that are backed in order to, to use an alternative uh, fuel solution. Uh, so there is, even in this difficult marketing environment, there is clearly an effort that uh, is producing uh, results in that direction. And uh, these graphs are, uh, both this and the one I will show you next, are interesting. It's, it's not a small percentage of ships that uh, have been seeking alternative fuels. It's, um, it's not a small percentage and it's interesting to, to, to color it up as we do in this graph. And I was quite impressed by the next number that uh, I will show you, which is that 38% of new orders are based on non-conventional fuel bunkering. Uh, it, I, I, to be honest, I was, uh, I was personally uh, estranged by this number, and uh, I dig a bit deeper. There is a joker in the pack. It's not uh, as, uh, as cheerful as it sounds, and um, that is that uh, the, there is a disproportionate amount of LNG or the chip and disproportionate amount of big containers and PCPCs that by nature are closer to find to DTF solutions, especially all the LNG as fuel or even methanol. So yes, we have 38%, but the number of tankers and bunkers would be materially less uh, because exactly the nature of LNG, of course, LPG, uh, PCPC and uh, big containers is much more accommodating for this um, sort of, uh, of solutions. So um, coming towards an end, uh, our industry is uh, uh, making serious efforts for this leap of, uh, that will make our carbon footprint uh, much more um, um, uh, much more appropriate and uh, there are combined efforts uh, amongst the various uh, players in order to make it happen. It's not an easy period, it's a period of uh, high co cost intensity and with break-evens becoming very challenging because uh, all banking, all alternative banking solutions result in several thousand of higher break-even for the owner and the charter, for the system. So solutions uh, need to be uh, engineered. Uh, but clearly there is effort and uh, clearly the effort seems to be uh, making steps in uh, the right uh, direction. That's my small note. Uh, and I'm happy to receive uh, questions uh, non-technical. <laughs> Thank you very much for the presentation. Um, there are some uh, owners, which I know, and some present here, who have the 
personal conviction and, and uh, policy of only buying second-hand ships and never ordering ships. Um, can you comment on that? Thank you. Yes, uh, I would ask them to, to reconsider the policy. No. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, there are very, two very small, strong advocates of this policy on, 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 uh, on the front row, so I have to be careful. Hey, I, will be, I will be political in my answer. There needs to be a balance, and uh, for sure, if uh, we all know that it's the easiest thing to shoot yourself on the foot and uh, collapse some markets, um, I think that, uh, that uh, the industries have shown much bigger discipline in these booms than we have seen before, and this discipline seems to be here to stay. Tanker markets are facing the biggest boom in their history, and Swiss maxes are at 2-3 percent order book uh, in the best uh, year ever. So this, I think that if this has happened in 2007, we have 12 percent order book because people would be more easy to be carried away. Uh, so I think there has been a learning curve in that front, and uh, there is more cautiousness. Uh, yet, uh, it is inevitable when the economics of new building make better sense than the economics of the second hand, it is inevitable that uh, at some point uh, people will be, uh, will, will closely evaluate the, the, the new ship's uh, option, the new building option. And of course, uh, it, uh, it would be very interesting to see what would be the balance of new building and second hand, when and if there is a dominating banking solution. So if today it was a no-brainer that you use uh, methanol, uh, then, uh, or carbon capsule, or, uh, or uh, hydrogen, then uh, the balance could be, the mix could be much different. If I just make one comment to be the devil's advocate. Um, disregarding the policy of financial issues about whether one should build ships or buy second-hand ships, we had a whole morning period, basically, around one basic principle, one basic um, concern is by building ships, especially these days, which are having delivery expectations saying in a couple of years, one has got the faintest idea, especially when you have to have the, what are called the, the dual fuel base, so whether you have methanol or second fuel or the alternative fuel, we don't know if it's going to be ammonia, whether it's going to be methanol, we don't know what it's going to be. In fact, as you probably uh, mentioned earlier, we've got one of the, the very substantial ship owners from Merck, we went to place a very significant order on carbon neutral methanol. And carbon neutral methanol, from the perspective or the point of view of people who are more highly technical person than I am, it seems it's a no-go, it's a no-go. I mean, it spends years before you can actually have that uh, kind of fuel which is commercially viable. So basically, without telling the, the, the discussion that technical, there is maybe one thing which maybe won't be involved with, is we can actually have a tremendous boom in the market by not building any ships. But so secondly, why build the ships anyway when the ships you're going to build? They're saying it up, was it? No, because in a couple of years, I mean, you've got ships on, on the order, placing in order. I'm not, I, don't, I mean, I'm not technically converse enough to actually really comment in depth. But you stand the risk of being told on delivery day that your ship is obsolete. You should have been methanol, you should have been ammonia, you should have gotten those what. So that's what really worries me. And I think it's part of perhaps the discussion we have later with the, the panelists in the club shortly. Is that uh, what we're concerned about is I think what can be the major issue of this uh, venue, of this conference, 
is the inconsistency and the fact that some, and also for the kind of people who actually here would read about, there's a certain degree of hypocrisy which we shouldn't really tolerate in the industry. I think we actually have to call a spade a spade and people should be more transparent what they say and we should actually avoid the issues of greenwashing which we will hear about because otherwise we're diverting and wasting billions of dollars into projects which are not viable, which I think at this stage shipping has always been a, a traditional business, uh, money's not made easily, there's been a lot of people in this room who have actually worked hard over centuries and generations to build up a, a financial profile and it shouldn't be burned just by people coming on board having some fashionable ideas which haven't got any practicality. Thank you. Just a note on that, I think that with the industry addresses this very, very vital concern that it's uh, indeed, indeed a, you know, a threat that should be very, very seriously evaluated is uh, by choosing fuel optionality in their options, which basically uh, allows the ship to, to choose whether they will go on the path of LNG, methanol or ammonia in, in the next phase of its life. And uh, it is interesting also to, to point out that uh, the, the basically the restriction in order for a ship not to be able to, to, to bear one of these elements would be the main engine. The rest, as we all know, is a tank and a system piping that probably would be accommodated. And the main engine manufacturers materially advocate that, they, that with, with the retrofit they will be in place to choose between these uh, these uh, vessels. Of course, this needs to be seen, but uh, it is it is one one path that uh, is validly followed by people that uh, choose the new building path. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Any other questions?